Good morning, church. As Kent said, my name is Mackenzie Ricky. My husband is Jordan Ricky. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 16. Let's hear God's word. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I will always let the Lord guide me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me, and in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks for reading, Mackenzie. I have loved, um, since the fall, being able to hear your voices read God's word and uh, love to hear you pray this morning. I'm grateful for uh, Pastor Dave's leadership as we worship as the people of God. I'm fighting a cold, so I'm drugged up and prayed up, and uh, I've had my fair share of donuts and menthols this morning. I've got my tea, so... Uh, if I appear aloof today, I'm not trying to appear aloof. I'm just also not going to give you a warm embrace, okay? So if you have a Bible with you, uh, open it up to Psalm 16. I never want to take for granted the gift of grace that it is to be able to uh, sing alongside you, to be able to uh, open up our Bibles, be changed by God's Word, and to gather together as the people of God. The season of Advent, the season of being reminded of the first coming of Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, the eternal one from heaven, taking on flesh and dwelling among us. This season also reminds us of the future second Advent, that it will come where Jesus Christ, the faithful one, will come again to make all things new, judging the living and the dead, where, where those who have rejected him in this life will be rejected in eternity, separated from his grace. And for those who have received him into their life, though, we will enjoy the presence of the Lord for all eternity alongside brothers and sisters from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Suffering and sin will be no more for the people of God. And a sweet eternity of endless joy, abundant joy will be ours. Here in 2022, we are living in between the first advent and the second future advent that will come. And in this land or life that is in between, sin and suffering still exist. It exists in our lives and the lives of those who we love and we live alongside, let alone in the world that the Lord has providentially placed us into. And at the same time, in this land in between, the Lord is present with us. He dwells with his people. He empowers his people from within through the Holy Spirit. We serve and worship a relational triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who is not distant from his people, but near. He is present with his people. The presence of his presence, the gift of his presence is, 
is one truth I want us to be reminded of this morning. Relational presence matters. As some of you know, a few months ago, Heather and I moved in with my dad who lives in Goodfield. He and my mom had been married for over 54 years. And about eight months ago, my mom went into the Roanoke uh, nursing home with the progression of Parkinson's. She was here on Easter, which was a sweet gift to have her presence with us that day, and then moved in the following week. My dad hasn't missed a day of getting over there to be with her for a few hours every single day. And those days are not always pleasant. Those days are not always easy. But he's there because presence matters. We moved in with dad because he's, he's losing his eyesight with macular degeneration. And our desire is that he'd be able to uh, live in the home that he and mom built five, six years ago as long as possible. We moved because relational presence matters. There's mutual blessing to him and to Heather and I to be relationally and physically present in one another's homes far more than had we lived apart. I have spent more time with my dad in the past few months than probably collectively I had in 26 years of marriage because we'd lived apart. Now we all live together with all our quirks and things together under the same roof. It's really Heather's quirks I'm talking about there. It's really not. Uh, this week, for some of you, it will be a sweet gift to be alongside family and friends, present with one another. In, in, in our season of life, to be able to have two grown kids and married kids and be able to have a party of six all under the same roof is a gift. It's a gift to us as parents. For others of you, this season is difficult. For you are reminded of either the loss of a loved one or the brokenness or the dysfunction of earthly relationships. You're personally acquainted with the sin and suffering that this life in between the first and second advent has. For some of you, this past year has been one where you feel shaken, turned upside down in some way. The past, this past January, as you for, foresaw, for, um, foresaw the, the year ahead, you didn't see it rolling the way it did or having to walk through what you've walked through. I know for us, we most certainly didn't anticipate the amount of change and transition we've walked through. Seeing the progression of Parkinson's in my mom's life is a less than pleasant experience. As we gather here to remember the presence of Christ in our lives, I want us to look at the living words of Psalm 16, written long before the birth of Jesus and yet prophesying of Jesus and his resurrection. And here's the phrase I want us to hold on to from this psalm. The Lord is our refuge, therefore we can rejoice and we can rest. The Lord is our refuge, therefore we can we can rejoice and we can rest. And maybe your life doesn't feel very joyful or restful right now, or maybe it feels abundantly joyful and restful. Either way, we need to be reminded of the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives and how he is our refuge. And as a result, we can rejoice in him and rest in him. David is the writer of this worship song, this prayer to the Lord. And David was one who was acquainted with sin and suffering. He was familiar with trial and trouble in his life. For years, he was on the run, moving from place to place to escape King Saul, jealous because one day King would, or one day David would, would take that crown from Saul, the anointed future king. And, and David is writing and singing of how the Lord is present with him, even and especially in times of trouble, and how the Lord's presence acts as a refuge, a sanctuary for him, how the nearness of the Lord gives David a security and assurance that leads to a practice of joy and a posture of rest. Settled joy 
and rest in the midst of any circumstance. That's the theme of this psalm. In the first eight verses, David will speak of his devotion to the Lord, how David is seeking to make the Lord his refuge. The first four verses. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. So the first of all, so first of all, from verse one, we see that David assumes that he will need protection, that life has trouble and trial, and he can't rely upon himself to be his own refuge. If we're honest, that's an easy temptation for us to fall into, that when life starts to shake, when life starts to feel uneasy, that we turn to ourselves, we begin to trust in ourselves, turn inward, and try to be our own refuge. The key indicator in my life that reveals that I'm trying to do that, I'm trying to take refuge in myself, is a lack of prayerfulness. When my first thoughts are, how am I going to solve this? What am I going to do? What am I going to do to overcome this, whatever this is? And then the Holy Spirit, often through what I call the Heather Spirit, if you know what I mean, reminds me to pray. David is praying, protect me, God. Protect him from what? Well, there are internal and external enemies in our lives that were there for David, that are there for our lives. Internally, we're battling our own flesh. We're not absent from the presence of sin, and, and yet our flesh is still weak. Externally, a spiritual battle is taking place around us. The devil's still prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour, seeking to lure people away. And we're also living in a fallen world that's not operating the way God designed it. It's groaning and aching because of sin, whose patterns are contrary to the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon wrote this prayer regarding what he needed to be protected from. Preserve, preserve me from the world. Let me not be carried away with its excitements. Suffer me not to be before its praises, nor to fear its frowns. Preserve me from the devil. Let him not tempt me above what I am able to bear. Preserve me from myself. Keep me from going, growing envious, selfish, high-minded, proud, slothful. Preserve me from those evils into which I see others run, and preserve me from those evils into which I, I am myself most apt to run. Keep me from evils known and from evils unknown. That's all-encompassing. I love it. It captures the sense of what David is praying here in verse 1, how we should be praying as well. There are two faith-filled actions I want us to see as we, as we see, as we look at this passage, where how, how David is pursuing a growing devotion to the Lord. Faith-filled actions he's taking in pursuit of that. First of all, we see him declaring, I have nothing good besides you. And at the same time, declaring because of that, I'm not going to give my attention and affection, my devotion to another God. I take refuge in you. You are my Lord, David prays. And at the same time, I'm turning from, I'm rejecting these other potential sanctuaries. Notice he says there in verse 4, I will not pour out their drink offerings. I will not speak their names. I will take refuge in you, Lord. I will not take another small G-God and give my attention, my allegiance to it. Because 
You can't confess your loyalty to one without confessing your disloyalty to the other. This is why, for example, Jesus says in in the book of Matthew to us saying, you cannot serve both God and money. You're either going to love the one and hate the other or vice versa. You can't say, oh, I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then at the same time try to find your security, identity, your peace in money. In my marriage, I can't say, oh, I really love Heather, and then turn around and confess my love and my allegiance to another woman. If I did that, you'd rightly say, well, then Heather clearly doesn't have your allegiance and your affection. And so in these verses, we see a really clear, decisive, faith-filled action of David. This isn't just lip service. His, his way of life is following his lips and vice versa, declaring, I take refuge in you, Lord. And one reason he rejects worshiping idols or lesser gods is because they lead to one place, sorrow. Sorrow is what verse 4 says, sorrow that multiplies and grows. And many of us, if not most of us, understand that personally. How our own sinful flesh, how our believing of the lies of the world or our spiritual, spiritual enemy has led us to places of grief. Friends, what, what other God is seeking for you to pour out your life to? Seeking for your lips to confess your allegiance to? To use Spurgeon's line from before, is that the God of envy? Self? high-mindedness, pride, sloth, or something else. This week of all weeks, as we remember the birth of our Savior, may we confess and repent and agree with the words of David that the Lord alone is our refuge. The second faith-filled action we see David doing and pursuing as as a growing devotion to the Lord is that he's doing it alongside, verse 3, the people of God the holy people in the land, the noble ones, all my delight is in them, David prays. Brothers and sisters, we don't take refuge in the Lord alone. We do it with one another in the family of God, with our fellow siblings who are confessing that it's only by the grace of God and his sufficient work upon the cross and resurrection that we are made holy and righteous in his sight. We were not born holy, but Jesus was. Because he was born of a virgin. So the sin DNA that's passed down from Adam, Jesus did not inherit because he's born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, the perfect spotless lamb of God that was born to take away the sins of the world, including ours. David goes on in prayer in verses 5 and 6. We continue to hear of David's faith-filled choosing and declaring that the Lord alone is his refuge. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David's satisfaction is found in the Lord alone, not in lesser gods. For the eternal yet nearer Lord holds David's future securely. As David prays in verse 6, he's recalling the time earlier in the Old Testament when the Israelites moved into the promised land and the Lord allotted, allotted land for each tribe, dividing up the land among all the Israelite tribes. But the tribe of Levi, the tribe of the priests, they were given no portion, no land. We read in Numbers 18, verse 20, the Lord told Aaron, you, the tribe of Levi, will not have an inheritance in their land. 
There will be no portion among them for you. I am, the Lord says, I am your portion and your inheritance among the Israelites. And so while the land is, is not given to them, the Lord tells them, I am your portion. I am your inheritance. And the great I am is greater than any earthly inheritance we could receive for his portion is enough in this life and in the life to come. David reflects on this Old Testament story and applies it to himself and is saying, no matter the circumstances, whether there's land or no land, if there's abundance or lack thereof, David's thought is that having the Lord, being known by the Lord, being held securely by the Lord is, is enough. John Calvin said, for he who has God as his portion is destitute of nothing which is requisite to constitute a happy life. The world, the devil, our flesh, they are continually whispering and shouting to us in order to live a happy, joy-filled life. It requires this. Fill in the blank. It requires this status, this position, this earthly, uh, this earthly success, this substance, this amount of income, and then then you'll have great joy. Brother and sister in Christ, the Lord himself is our joy, our beautiful inheritance. The boundary lines of our lives have fallen on pleasant places even in times of trouble because distress, according to Romans 8, can never separate us from Jesus, our living hope, our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Verses 7 and 8. I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Even at night when my thoughts trouble me, I always let the Lord guide me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The Lord is present with David. The eyes of faith see through the trouble and know the reality that the great I am is with him. My fellow believers, when we need counsel, the Lord is with us. When we struggle to sleep, the Lord is with us. When we're in the dark night of the of soul, the Lord is with us. When we're tempted to grow anxious, the Lord is with us. When we need guidance, the Lord is with us. When we are unsure of what the future holds, the Lord is with us. When we ask for wisdom, the Lord is with us and generously gives us wisdom according to the promise of James 1.5. And he's given us his word, including here in Psalm 16, to remind us of all of those unchanging realities. Loved ones, part of taking refuge in the Lord is dwelling in his living and active word alongside one another. I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Your translation may say, I shall not be moved. The idea behind the word shaken or moved is that of swaying. And on its own, it sounds like self-reliant bravado right here. In an earthly sense, David has the resume, the skills, the physical strength, the accuracy to say, I will not be shaken. And yet he also has the resume to show that when he relied upon himself, it led to multiplied sorrows. So this is not self-reliant boasting. In context, we see the dependence that David has on the Lord. That's his source of strength. His lack of swaying 
is not simply because of his determination to follow the Lord, but his humble dependence upon the Lord. This is not self-willed. This is spirit-led dependence. Because he is at my right hand, I won't sway back and forth. I won't be on the verge of collapse. For my security is not in myself, but in the one who is beyond time and space, who's above all. And he, that one, the eternal one, is at my right hand. The picture being of a person who stands by another to help, to hold steady, to strengthen in the midst of a core battle or physical battle. Thus far, David has sung and prayed of his devotion to the Lord. How the Lord is his refuge, shelter, protection, guard, inheritance, portion. The Lord is his steady, his security. And then verses 9 through 11, David moves to therefore, because of who the Lord is, and his faithful and steadfast character, therefore my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Because the Lord is his portion, David can rejoice and rest securely. And that rejoicing and resting won't end in Sheol, meaning the place or the state of death. It won't end in death, but actually continue on for the believer. God's care and presence continue, not just in this life, but into death and into eternal life. Death is not the end for the believer. Death is simply a door into eternal life, an on-ramp into the presence of the eternal one. This is not wishful thinking from David, but rather confident expectation. And in verse 10, David is speaking beyond himself. He's pointing forward to Jesus Christ, speaking prophetic words of the hero who will come, the faithful and holy one who will be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of Mary, live a life of perfect obedience to the Father, a life that faced temptation and yet did not sin. Jesus, who then willingly endured a death upon a cross, substituting himself, taking the, the wrath of God towards sin, Jesus taking our place when it should have been us upon that cross. His death for our life, his sacrifice for our sin. And then on the third day, the end of verse 10, you will not allow your faithful one to see decay. David is speaking spirit-led words that point us forward to Jesus Christ. The Father will not abandon the Son. The Lord rose from the dead to a new resurrected body, proving and declaring to all the world for all of time that he alone is greater than than all greater than our sin greater than the devil whose days are limited greater than death itself he alone is to be worshiped he alone is worthy of our utter devotion our complete and entire allegiance jonathan edwards a, a pastor from the 1700s said this regarding why believers in christ can choose joy at all times and roughly 300 years later these truths remain because they weren't anchored in the 1700s, they're anchored to the eternal, living, active word of God. Edwards said, if you know Jesus Christ, your bad things will work for good. Romans 8. If you have Jesus Christ, your good things, your adoption into God's family, 
your justification in his sight, your union with Jesus Christ, your good things cannot be shaken. Romans 8. If you have Jesus Christ, your best, best things, life in heaven, the new creation, the world to come, they are yet to come. Romans 8. Warren Wearsby said it concisely. The future is your friend when you have Jesus as your Lord. Verse 11, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Brother and sister in Christ, I want to encourage you that no matter what your path feels like right now, you're on a path toward life. The presence of the Lord is with you. And in his presence is joy and rest. As I thought of this passage and the people of Crosspoint, I'm, I'm grateful to be alongside you as we together seek to, Lord, to make the Lord our refuge. I'm greatly encouraged. My own faith is strengthened seeing you choose to rejoice in the midst of trouble, to choose to walk by faith when life feels unsteady, to choose to move toward the holy ones in the land and delight in community, including in seasons of suffering and sin, to choose to dwell in the word and let the word counsel and guide you on the path. All my delight is in you, my fellow siblings in the faith. To those of you who have not wholeheartedly trusted in Jesus, who the Lord saw fit to bring here this morning or watch online, the Lord is desiring to save you, save you from eternal judgment. See, right now, Jesus would say that you're on the, a wide path that leads to destruction. It leads to sorrow and separation. Apart from faith in Jesus Christ, future is not your friend. It's not your friend. I say that because the Lord Jesus loves you and is seeking your heart and soul this morning and desiring that you might repent and turn from the wide road and, and walk toward the narrow road that leads to life. That you might turn from trusting in, in yourself and wholeheartedly surrender your life to Jesus Christ. This Christmas, loved ones, humble yourself before Jesus. Today, declare to the Lord, I'm all in. Save me. Make me a new creation in you, Lord Jesus. I no longer want to pretend to be my own refuge. I want to repent of my, my self-reliant bravado. I want you to be my refuge, my shelter. I no longer want to pour out my life to lesser things and these small G gods. I want to speak of your name, Jesus, and confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. I pray you'll do that before you leave this place. I pray that you'll reach out to somebody here you know, a pastor, a leader, a community group leader, a friend who invited you, and that you'd be able to pray together and trust in Christ today. Because that humble baby that was born is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He deserves all our allegiance, all our affection. He was born to die and rise again on the third day and bring the gospel of God's grace, good news of great joy for all the people, including you. As we move back into worship, uh, we're going to be giving our offering during this next song. So if you're a guest with us, don't feel obligated to give. This is an opportunity for us to who call this church home to, um, to store up treasure in heaven and to invest into the kingdom in this way. One scholar wrote of, of, of Psalm 16, there reigns in the whole psalm a settled calm, an inward joy, and a joyous confidence, which is certain that everything that can desire 
for the present and for the future it possesses in its God. And at Christmas, loved ones, we are reminded that our God came to us, took on flesh, came to seek and save the light of the world, pierced the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness, darkness will not overcome it. The depravity of the world will not remain. Sin and suffering, their days are numbered. His presence changed everything. It changed the course of human history. His presence continues to change us as his sons and daughters. His presence has the power to change your life today, and I pray that you would trust in him today. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would seek you while you might be found. Thank you that in your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Protect us, Lord. Guard our lives. We take refuge in you. Thank you that while we were still going after these other gods, you came to rescue us. You pulled us back from our wandering and breathed new life into our dry bones. You are our portion, Lord. You are a blessing. You hold our present and our future securely. Lead us, Lord. Give us willing hearts that desire to be led and changed by you. Bring about salvations in our gathering this morning. You are faithful to do so, and we trust you. Thank you for being near to us. As we take refuge in you as a way of life, we rejoice in all circumstances and we rest securely in your mighty hand. As we give and sing and live our lives this week, we want to reflect and exalt you. Jesus, you're altogether good. We are devoted to you. May you be faithful to finish what you've begun in us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. We are so thankful, Father, that you have sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to come who was stricken, who bore your wrath on himself so that, Lord, we don't have to experience that wrath. Lord, as we've heard this morning, we have a refuge no matter what we're dealing with in this life, the circumstances of this life. Lord, you want us to bring all those to you because you paid for that at the cross for us so that we could have everlasting life. And so, Lord, remind us of the beauty of this song that Lord, none of us in this room stands here in our own merit. I can't look at the guy next to me and say I'm better than him or that woman next to me and say I'm better than her because, Lord, my sin deserves death. And that death was paid for by a gracious and merciful Savior. Because Christ was born. He came to earth, lived our life, died our death. And that by grace through faith, Lord, we have life doesn't mean we're always delivered from the, the yuck and the mess of this life, but Lord, we always have a Savior, as Dave preached to us this morning, who's with us, who's well acquainted, well acquainted, Lord, even greater grief, because you took all that on the cross when you didn't deserve it. You took that because of me. And so Lord, as we go this week and as we go out into this world, may we be people of joy, even in the midst of suffering. May we be people that have the message of Jesus on our lips, always saying, I'm a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. A Savior who has purchased my life, who's not done with me yet, because Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sin today. I'm gonna think and say and do things that are in that moment unbelief of who you are and what you've done, but Lord, you are always gracious and merciful to forgive. 
And so, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for Crosspoint. I pray that as we go this week, that we would live in the grace and the mercy of Jesus, that we would live in the power of the gospel. Christ is born. And all God's people said,